Uh, years ago, when I lived in New Plymouth and our children were young, we'd often go to Pukakura Park. I don't know if you know it, but it's a, it's a beautiful park. And it has a small lake, and, and when the kids were young, they had some boats that you could hire for half an hour and, and paddle out into the, uh, into the lake. And they had numbers, I think there were about 15 of them, and they had numbers on each, on each side of the boat. And you knew your time was up because there was a man with a loud hailer on the shore, and he would call you in, even if you tried to hide among the bushes around the corner to get an extra five minutes, he would find you and call you in. Anyway, it reminded me of a story, as so it goes, of a similar situation. And on that particular day, it was a little bit rough, but there were still some, some keen people out there um, paddling away. And then it was number nine's time to come in. And the man with the loud hailer called out, Number nine, your time is up. Make your way in. Oh, but there's no response. So after a time, the, the man with the loud hailer repeated it, but louder. Number nine, your time has come. Make your way in. And still, still no response. And he tried a couple of times getting more, more frustrated until after a pause, he called out, Number six, are you in trouble? Some of us feel a little like being in boat number six. The weather's bad, we're hanging on, we're barely in the boat. In fact, we feel that we're in the water and upside down. Today we're going to look at the disciples who are in a boat, in a storm, and barely hanging on. And just like Jesus intervened in the middle of their storm, so Christ can intervene in the middle of our storms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this well-known story, we pray that your Holy Spirit will make it afresh for us, that we may be encouraged when we go through our storms and difficult times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we come to this fifth sign in John's Gospel, Jesus walking on the water, straight after the feeding of the 5,000. Now, where that miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, has lots of detail and an extensive explanation by Jesus, this sign, the fifth sign, is the opposite. Very small detail and no explanation by Jesus. Fortunately, both Matthew and Mark also have Jesus walking on the water, that story. And so I'm going to draw from those two stories. Now, if you're following along in your Bible, I may mention a detail that you won't find in John. And that's because I've pulled that detail in from Matthew or from Mark. And a wee reminder of where we're up to with these series of two signs, the fourth and the fifth sign. Uh, ministry had got so busy in Capernaum, the lakeside town on the Lake of Galilee, that Jesus felt he needed time to take himself and the disciples away so they could rest and he could spend time teaching them. So they got on a boat and they made their way to the other side of the lake. However, the crowd saw them leaving and skirted around the edge, so that when Jesus started teaching his disciples, there was this crowd of 5,000 men, plus women and children, coming to meet him. And he had compassion on them because they were tired and they were hungry, and so he took a young lad's lunch, five small loaves of bread and two fish, and miraculously fed the crowd that would have been well over 10,000. So much so that there was leftovers. He then made his way up the mountain to be with God alone 
and to pray. Well, this is where we're up to when we pick up the passage in John. And just as we do, we're going to focus on four initiatives and four responses. We're going to see four initiatives by Jesus and four responses of the disciples. And as we do, we'll find ourselves equipped and encouraged to face our own storms. So let's open up the passage in John chapter 6, verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now, it was dark. Now, the other disciples tells us that Jesus dismissed the crowd, suggested that they go home, and most did, not all. He also instructed his disciples to get in the boat and to make their way to Capernaum while he went further up the mountain. So here in verses 16 and 17, we see the first initiative and response. Jesus sent and the disciples obeyed. Jesus sends, disciples obey. Earlier, Jesus had instructed the disciples to seat the crowd down and then distribute the food. And the disciples had done that. They obeyed. And then later on, at the end of Jesus' ministry, as he was taken up to heaven, he, he instructed, he sent the disciples out into all the nations to make disciples. And the disciples obeyed. And so even though the disciples don't always get it right when we read the Gospels, they always obey. They made mistakes along the way, but they always obeyed Jesus. Now, each of us, each Christian has a call of obedience on our lives. Without exception, Christ is sending each one of us. He's instructing each one of us and calling us to obey. Most often, he is calling us to obey in the gifts that we are given. We have different gifts, and Christ is expecting us to use those gifts. So for those who have the gift of encouragement, he's asking us to encourage. He's sending us out to encourage. For those who have the gift of of serving. Jesus is sending us out to serve. For those who have the gift of compassion, Jesus is asking us to be obedient and to care for people. For those who have the gift of giving, to give. For those the gift of teaching, to teach. There are many more gifts. But each one of us has our own gifts and Jesus is calling us to obey. That will look a little bit different for each of us. But that's what he's wanting us to do. And there are other areas that God wants us to work that is common to all of us. God calls us all to our knees to pray and to our neighbour to share the gospel. Today, there will be people here that God is challenging in a specific area to obey. He's challenging you. Don't put it off. Don't be a Jonah. Don't run away. So that's... The first initiative and response, Jesus sends, we obey. As the disciples are rowing, though, we're introduced to a storm, and we see this in verse 18. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed three or four miles, that's five or six kilometers. And the other gospels were told how ferocious the storm is. The water is lapping over the sides and the disciples are straining at the oars. Now at least four of the disciples were experienced fishermen and even they were struggling. Yet they persisted. 
They didn't give up. Jesus told them to sail to the other side, and even though it was easier for them to turn around and go back to the safety of the shore that they had left, they persisted and continued to point the boat at Capernaum and row through the storm. They kept going. Now, isn't this interesting? Here we have followers of Jesus doing the right thing and still facing a storm that was not of their making. It's interesting. It's not like Jonah. Now, we remember Jonah, don't we? He disobeyed God and tried sailing as far away as he could. He wouldn't go to Nineveh and sailed in the opposite direction. It was like a double disobedience, wasn't it? God said, go to Nineveh. He said, no. And then he ran away, sailing away. So what did God do? God sent a storm to get his attention, to bring him to his senses. And it took for Jonah to be thrown overboard and a very large fish before he did come back to his senses. And we thank God that he sends storms and troubles and upset into our lives so that when we stray, or like Jonah, run from God, he draws us back. I hope you can say that. I hope you can look back to a time when you were straying and God sent a storm and you can say, thank you, Lord, because it brought me to my senses. However, this is not the case here with the disciples, is it? The disciples are being 100% obedient and yet the storm still comes. Now that doesn't sit right, is it? Because normally what we do is we say to God, God, I will do what you want me to as long as you make it easy for me. You know, I'll do what you want me to do, but I expect all the barriers to be removed, the road to be flat, the sailing to be calm. But that's not how God works. Jesus is taking us where we are, and then he tests and he probes. He stretches so that our faith will grow. Our faith tends to not grow in the calm. Our faith tends to grow best in the storms. What a challenge to us. Obedience to God is immensely rewarding. I'll say that again. Obedience to God, being in the place that he wants you to be, there's nothing like it. However, that does not guarantee plain sailing. We can be 100% obedient, yet face setbacks. They may be ill health, financial struggles, relationship strains. God may even want us to work in a very difficult employment environment and still want to be faithful. And this is why God calls us to persist. If we know we're being obedient, he wants us to persist. However, however, there is good news, we are never alone. For in Mark's account, he describes that Jesus is up on the mountain in prayer and then he looks across the lake and he sees the disciples. The disciples persist, but Jesus sees them. And it's the same today. No matter where you are in your storm, Jesus sees. Now in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding, praying for us, presenting our case. And we see this glimpsed here in John 6. Where is Jesus? He's on a mountain. He's talking with his father, and he sees us in our storm. And so this is the second initiative that we see out of the four. Jesus sees, 
and we persist. And this leads us to our third initiative and response. Jesus sends and obeys. Jesus sees and we persist. And thirdly, he comes and we invite. Let's see how this plays out on the stormy lake. Jesus sees and we invite. Verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Amazing, isn't it? Here comes Jesus to the disciples. We can imagine the wind howling, the water lapping into the boat, while some row and the other disciples are bailing. And when their amazement and their shock and their fear, the disciples see something approaching from the water. As he or it or whatever it is comes near, their fear increases. Remember, these are experienced sailors. They've been in storms before, but a figure walking on the water, never. Never have they seen anything so terrifying. No wonder they cry out, it's a ghost. However, the ghost speaks to them, verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So what do we see here? We see Jesus coming and the disciples inviting. Now in the Gospel of Mark, it tells us that Jesus approached the boat in the storm and then Jesus was looking like he was going to keep walking past them. And it wasn't until they cried out and invited him into the boat that Jesus came into the boat. And it's the same today. Jesus comes to us in our storms, but we need to invite him in. We can continue to man the oars and battle on by ourselves. And many of us have been brought up to, you know, just to stick it out and you'll be right. You can work it out yourself. But we miss Jesus' help if he comes to us and we do not invite him into the boat, into our storm. It looks like Jesus would have just kept on walking to Capernaum if they had not invited him into the boat. For invitation of Jesus to come into our lives is not just a one-off at conversion. We continue, continue to invite Jesus in for fellowship, for friendship, and his presence. Now, let me share with you a verse that's probably well known to many of you, Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in and eat with them, and they with me. Familiar with that wonderful verse. And it's a verse we often share with non-Christians, and it's good and right that we do. But Jesus is actually speaking to the church at Laodicea. And Jesus has said to them, you're lukewarm. You know, you're not hot nor cold. I want to spit you out of your mouth. And then he says, invite me in. Invite me in. Let us not miss the opportunity in the storm of our life to invite Jesus to make himself more real to us. Now we come to our fourth initiative and our fourth response. Jesus speaks and we listen. When we are in a storm, we need to hear these words. It is I, don't be afraid. 
What an encouragement, isn't it? To us that are barely holding on while the boat is almost sinking, if not flipped over and on top of us. But here's a question. How do we hear the voice of Jesus? How do we know when he's speaking to us? Well, Jesus has blessed us beyond belief with the gift of the Bible, his word. And that's how we hear Jesus speak into our lives. And here is some worthy advice. Don't wait to your storm before you dust off your Bible and open it up. Or reload the Bible app onto your phone. Use the calm before the storm to immerse yourself in God's word. Of course, I'm not saying that if you're in a storm, don't read God's word. That's great. (laughs) If that's the motivation that you need, use it. But what I'm saying is, Use the long periods of time where God gives us calm, stability and peace, plain sailing, to use that time to invest in God's word. That means when we do come to a storm, the Holy Spirit can draw that treasure out from us. So imagine if you have this verse here, Psalm 27, 13 and 14. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Take heart, be strong, and wait for the Lord. These are the verses that Jesus uses to speak to us in our storm. My encouragement is to build a reservoir of these so that the Holy Spirit can use them in the difficult times. Or how about this if we go to the New Testament, Romans 8.37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And in that verse there, Paul has just finished talking about all sorts of trials and persecutions that Christians have. And he finishes Romans 8, one of the most glorious chapters in the whole Bible. Romans 8, he finishes this chapter with these words, No, in all these things, in the darkest of storms, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Give the Holy Spirit something to work with. Find those verses that stir your soul and have them ready for when that storm comes. Most of us have been around long enough to know that we're either about to enter a storm We're in a storm, or we've just come out of a storm. Leverage these moments to come close to Christ. And of course, no storm lasts forever. And as soon as Jesus got on the boat, the storm stopped, and the disciples found themselves at Capernaum on the other side. And so, what do we learn today? Well, we've seen four things, haven't we? Jesus sends and we obey. Jesus sees and we persist. Jesus comes, so we invite. Jesus speaks, and so we listen. Now, which one of these areas is Jesus challenging you in today? Maybe you're like Jonah. You need to stop running from God. There's something specific he wants you to do and you need to obey. 
Maybe you're on the right track, but it's really hard. And today's word is to encourage you to persist because Jesus sees and he comes. Thirdly, he does come, but we need to invite. So maybe we're going through a difficult time, but unconsciously or consciously, we've decided just not thought of inviting Jesus in. We just thought, oh, we can get through this by myself with my family's help. And so Jesus is standing at the boat and he's going to keep on walking to Capernaum unless you invite him in. And fourthly, do you need to pick up God's word? Is Jesus speaking to you but you're not listening and you need to hear? One of my daughters got hold of me the other day and said she was at church and she felt this, you know, felt a bit convicted that she needed to, to read the Bible. And then she said, but it's so boring, Dad. Oh, I like it when your kids are honest. And we were messaging away. So I said, why don't you hang around in the Gospels for a bit? Just read a chapter a day of Mark. See how you get on. You know, you've got to start somewhere. And she and the, and the conversation ended well. Well, I thought it did anyway. But, you know, there's some of us where Jesus wants to speak, but because we're not picking up the Bible, he can't get through. So which one of these four areas is Jesus challenging you in today? I want to finish now with a, a story, a parable as you will. Once a king was constructing a grand palace and he wanted a, a magnificent entrance hall and as a centerpiece he wanted a, a piece of art, a, a huge painting. And he wanted that painting to represent peace. He was determined to strive for peace in his kingdom. And so he wanted a painting, uh, this work of art, to symbolize this. So he announced a competition, open to everyone, to paint this picture that best symbolized peace. There would be a significant financial reward to the artist that won. And as you can imagine, a few months later, all sorts of paintings flooded into the palace. And the king narrowed his choice down to two. And he thought, well, I'm going to put them on display before I choose. And the first painting was a majestic lake. The hills with hues of green and brown were delicately mirrored in the clear, still water. The sky was deep blue, with soft clouds drifting above. Wildflowers were bursting into colour along the shore. and A family of deer grazed in a, a nearby meadow. Many who viewed the painting felt drawn into the stillness and the peace of the moment. The second painting was of a darker tone. It had a tall sea cliff, rugged and strong, and a few small trees clung to cracks with gnarled roots on the sheer face. An angry dark sea pounded the rocks below with foamy waves, Foreboding clouds piled up behind, angry and stern, and lightning flashed in the distance. Yet such was the skill of the artist that your eyes were drawn into a small bush clinging to that rugged cliff. And in its branches of that small bush was a bird sat on a nest, unperturbed by the surrounding turmoil. After several weeks, the king declared this painting to be the winner. Puzzled, the people asked the king why this choice. And the king said, Peace is not the absence of conflict or storms, 
Peace is that inner state when life is chaotic, just as much as when life is settled. Those who live a life of peace do so even when storms surround them. As Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. No matter what storm you face, may the peace of Christ be yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it amazes us that Jesus walked on the water. We're certainly not surprised the disciples thought it was a ghost. But in all the chaos, you came into the boat when they invited and stilled their storm. Heavenly Father, some of us are going through very difficult storms at the moment, or we know loved ones that are. And so we come to you, Lord, and ask that Jesus will make himself more real to us. That as, he, as Jesus sends, sees, comes and speaks, you will help us to obey, persist, invite and listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.